The Ringer's Dave Hill takes you on a journey into the underground lives and careers of six professional gamblers. This eight-part podcast is a unique look into the gambling world that you don't want to miss. Check out Gamblers on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined by Noah Princiati. Noah, what's going on, buddy? Not much, Kevin. There is, as we are recording this, there is a new Taylor Swift song that has been released into the ether. So I'm on tilt, essentially. It's also Masters Week. Do we have the same feelings over those two things? Basically, probably Nathan Hubbard is the person to ask that question to. But just a lot of... I I commend you um, as well for... Just really spreading your wings and flying and showing a lot of range recently with the basketball, with the golf, and of course, with some football. So let's talk some football. Yeah, no, doing a, doing a bunch of stuff here. It's all good. I'm getting my second vaccine shot this week. I'm just doing it all. It's a big week. Everybody's on tilt. Everybody's on tilt. Is that tilt. what on tilt do- means? That's a thing that people no. say, and I'm always kind of... On tilt. I mean, it could. You're, you're probably on tilt. But what on tilt means is essentially Always. like in gambling terms, like an example of being on tilt is if you lose a bunch of times and then you just start making irrational decisions. So that's probably where you're at with Taylor Swift. Shoot. That's not what I thought it meant. <laughs> I just thought it was like on one, excited, rearing to go. It just means a little bit of, uh, it means you're not level-headed. Because you've you're, okay. you're you're taking on water essentially, but I I would say that's not a million miles away from how you react whenever there's a there's a Taylor. That's release. okay. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. We're in a good place, and we got a great show. We we got we got a great show. We just turned into Saturday Night Live here. Um, okay, so we have Mike Tannenbaum on today. Mike Tannenbaum is here. Great conversation. Um, he. Talks a lot about the process that, that teams go through. We talked a little bit about Vernon Golston, talked about the quarterbacks at the top of this draft, how we should view them. Uh, he, out of nowhere, took a shot at Bill Simmons' Celtics knowledge, which you, you're going to have to listen electric. to it. You're going to have to listen to it. We have not sought comment from, from one Bill Simmons, but we will get there. Uh, and there's just a lot to get to. This is a big, big week. One thing I just saw before we started recording, Tom Brady to Michael Strahan on Good Morning America. I still want to play Ellipsis. I got a little sickness in me that just wants to throw a freaking spiral. He's so weird. You know Tom Brady better than I do, in as much as that I've never really spent any time with Tom Brady. What does his post-career look like? Is it like a Beckham 
like a Beckham, like I'm just kind of a an icon and I, I hang out and, and get 3 million Instagram likes every time I go to a restaurant? Or is it like, is he going to try to be a GM? I, I, I can't really peg it because he wants to play so long that I don't think he's actually given much thought to it. Well, so yeah, there's two answers to that. And I think you're basically spot on. His post-playing career will be defined by TB12 and what he wants to do with diet and lifestyle and, and all of that. But I don't think he really knows. Like, I don't think he knows how he is going to respond mentally when he doesn't have the daily challenge of football to channel that. I mean, I think in that interview, he also said something along the lines of like, he's still got a chip on his shoulder. or He's still like people doubted him and he still feels doubted and blah, 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 blah. Like it's always the same thing. And I think that that, like, I truly believe that Tom Brady gets up in the morning every morning and is like, one, I am energized by the challenge of going and playing football. And two, hey, remember when all those people didn't think that I was good enough to do this? And I do not think that he really knows what his life is going to be like when that's no longer a part of it. But he'll spend a lot of time with his family and he'll do TB12 stuff. From what I understand, it's not just remember when people thought I couldn't do it. It's it's a constant refreshing of that particular narrative. Like he is seeking out things to be mad about from what I understand. Things in the things in the media. Yes. Yeah. Like he 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 gets way more in the weeds than you would think for someone with a few hundred million dollars, but on the other hand, so does Michael Jordan. Like that is that that is the requirement and if that's your motivation, your requirement is to get deep in the weeds and find something, find someone to dunk on, literally or figuratively. He's not normal. No. No. <laughs> that much we know. But I don't think anyone can get to his level of success by being normal. No, definitely not. There's no way. No way. Uh, Aaron Rodgers hosting Jeopardy. What'd you think? Um, Fun. Just fun to fun to take someone from one world and put them in another world. That's just a general take about how things work in life. Always fun when that happens. Love having Aaron Rodgers hosting. Permanent host? Um, it would be cool. I gotta say, I think that there could be diminishing returns if Aaron Rodgers was the permanent host of, of Jeopardy, because at a certain point, he's just the host of Jeopardy. Now, what could be cool would be. Like, if he did it for a year while he was playing, I think that would be really fun. Because then so, you can kind of merge the the narratives. So he told our Claire McNair, who writes Shout wonderful in all sports and, and, and on Jeopardy. She wrote a book on Jeopardy. So she talked to Aaron Rodgers last week. And he said he wouldn't have to retire in order to do this. They only film, what, 45 days a year? That's a pretty nice gig. Game shows, yeah, it's pretty just, good. they just film like 10 episodes a day and then everybody, the host just makes $60 million a year. It's wild. It's wild how, how good a lives game show hosts have. Kind of like, kind of like the, the punters of television, except way better. Yeah, punters, if they never had to go to practice. If they right. just showed up. Like, remember when Roger Clemens, you probably don't. Remember when Roger Clemens had that deal with the Astros where he didn't have to come in on days he wasn't pitching? For the purposes of this conversation, let's yeah. say that yes. No, I I'm just saying do he's really that. the only person who kind of gamed it to actually have like the game show host life while playing professional sports. He didn't have to do, he didn't have to do anything but just show up every five days and pitch. And then it turned out Roger Clemens was a huge creep. So. Yeah. I guess that's, that's separate. Um, 
I, 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 I'm with you. I really like Aaron Rodgers, and I, I think he's one of the most fascinating interviews in the league. Um, and I think that he has the range for it. I agree with you in, in as much as like when Aaron Rodgers is doing something funny or great, it, he's he's helped by the fact that he's a world famous athlete. And then once you get into the, the TV world, you're competing with like you know Neil Patrick Harris and stuff. Um, and so it's 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 definitely a harder game to to stand out in. Um, you know, I've seen saw some, a LeVar Burton petition this week. Um, you know, there's just a lot of there's there's a deep bench here. I think Sanjay Gupta is going to be one of the guest hosts at one point. Uh, Katie Couric. It's just a, it's there's a deep bench of uh, and then everyone thinks Ken Jennings is going to get it. I think from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's just it's 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 competitive. It's comp- He it is a lot easier to assert yourself on a football field than it is to be the an, an iconic Jeopardy guest host. Who is the Jordan Love of those fill-in hosts? Is it Katie well, Doctor, Couric? Everybody hated the Dr. Oz thing. <laughs> right. Okay. Yep. That's it. But that's I don't it. think that I don't think Dr. Oz is the Jordan Love here. I just think it's similarly everyone was just like, what's going on here? Kind of like the, the Jordan Love thing. Um, but I think Rogers has the range to do it. I think he's really funny and charming and all that stuff. And I would not be surprised if he got more opportunities or he could get his own game show. Right. No. So I think that's that's an important point here. He could genuinely do it. Like, I, I don't doubt at all for a second that he could genuinely be a good Jeopardy host. It's like when a backup quarterback comes in in relief and proves he can be a starter somewhere. Maybe he's not the start. Maybe he's not the starting Jeopardy host. Well, it's just like, maybe okay, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers at football. Aaron Rodgers might be Josh McCown at hosting Jeopardy. Okay. No, um, which is not an No, insult. no, I'm processing that. I'm processing that. Uh, yeah. That could be that could be right. That could be right. Like being, maybe, a re- maybe, being a replacement level Jeopardy host is one not easy and a pretty good gig. But he's used to being Aaron Rodgers at his chosen profession, so it might get complicated. The I'm more I thought about the Jeopardy thing, you don't actually have to be smart to be the Jeopardy host. Like you have to give an air of gravitas off, or like you have to appear smart. But you're well, not I think you have to be questions. smart in certain ways, but you don't have to be like, right, you don't have to know the answers to the right. questions you just, all intrinsically. You to, the, all, all you judge on is like, like once an episode, you say something funny when someone gives a bad answer. Right. You have to be, you have to be really good at like being just mean enough, which actually yeah. I think Aaron Rodgers is probably I, he's extremely good. good at. That's what I'm getting at. And then you have to play off of them when they give their, their life story, which is important. And then when they give a funny final Jeopardy answer, you have to, have a good line for that. But I would also say that, you know, the other day someone made fun of the, the Matt LaFleur field goal and he took it in stride. So I, I think there's, there's some there, there is all I'll say about that. Um, all right, before we get to my 10 months, we talk about the Darnold trade in there, um, a lot and we kind of get through what it means for the jets and the Panthers. And he had some really interesting comments. He actually had just talked to Bill Parcells about the subject that we touched on with Darnold in particular and the jets and all that stuff. Uh, but when this came, this trade came down, what'd you think? Well, I don't I don't mind it certainly for the Panthers because and I've said this on on this pod in a zillion different situations. My general philosophy for a team that needs a quarterback is just to take swings and it's not it's not an insignificant level of compensation that they gave up to get him, but it's not going to change the 
it's not going to change the trajectory that the franchise is on not having that $24 million or whatever over two years and those draft picks. There is at least a slim possibility that it, if it is enough of an upgrade in situation that Sam Darnold turns into a viable starting quarterback, the return on the assets that you gave up to get him is significant enough that, that I believe in doing it. I think that Carolina has invested in its coaching staff, and this is an opportunity for them to prove that that investment was worth making. I don't think that it would be a shock to anyone if getting out of the New York Jets organization helped a player. Um, so I, I I like it. I, de- I like it for Carolina. I like it for Darnold just getting a change of scenery. <sighs> I think it's, I mean, the Jets are going to take a quarterback at two. It's not that big of a deal. I, I don't know. What I loved what Mike said because I think he had some kind of fresh ideas about who might be interested in prioritizing quarterback to the extent that they would double dip. And I just don't know that I would always rather be in the position of gaining assets at the quarterback position than losing them. And while I don't think that it super matters for the Jets because they have that number two pick and are going to use it on a quarterback, I don't know. That's the part that I'm a little shaky on. What do you think? I think that I just fired up Twitter and I just saw that Shaq saw a kid buying an engagement ring yesterday and just bought the engagement ring for the kid. Thanks, Shaq. That's so nice. I think that'd be the best part of being Stanley Rich is doing stuff like that and putting on a video and it going viral. And just, well, I bought this engagement ring. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So. Wait, you're not answering my question about Sam no. Arnold. What do you think? Well, no, I have a, I had a Shaq, Shaq midweek. <laughs> you had a Shaq point to make. Yeah, yes, excuse me. Make. Sorry, Kevin. Um, okay. So. Darnold, I can't tell. Right now, there's a chance that Adam Gase, the Gaseness of it all, that Adam Gase actually helped Sam Darnold in getting a huge incomplete grade. And then if he had more of a coach who was considered competent, that he may have been uh, not worth that kind of haul. Right. Um, And I think everyone has thrown the Gase numbers out to the point that. Uh, the whole conversation is so muddy. You know, I, I, our buddy Seth Walter works at ESPN. Just, he had a great point that two things can be true at once. Adam Gase can be a bad coach. That can be a bad situation. But he also should not. If Sam Darnold was better, he wouldn't have been 33rd out of 33 quarterbacks in every statistic, including QBR. Um, right. Sam Darnold has bad, never had a good NFL season. He was a bad quarterback. And I think that there are still people, you know, Diana Racine was on Russell a couple weeks ago, said there's still people who saw Darnold's pro day and said, oh my God, we know what he could be, all that stuff. And I still think there's some of that in the league. And I feel like that hasn't dissipated as much as it normally does with these types of, of young quarterbacks who don't pan out because of the gay situation. So I am, I, you know, I joked about this a couple times, but there almost needs to be in the same way that there's, you know, adjusted for error or whatever. There needs to be adjusted for bad coaches statistics. And I don't know what that is for Adam Gase. I do know that Darnold will be in a better situation. There's a difference between Sam Darnold can be better and Sam Darnold is good. And we're going to find that out. I think that the, the, the weird narrative for me 
there were a couple of things. Number one, people were saying that's all they got for Sam Darnold. Well, Sam Darnold was not considered all that good in the NFL. And then there were another an, another kind of group where they were like, said they got Sam Darnold for nothing. This is a flyer. That's not a flyer. Second round pick being the top pick, that is not a flyer in the modern NFL. So I think it was fair value to answer a question and to have the upside, I guess, that we saw at USC. Um, I, I'm in the same way you have to give Sam Darnold a, a big old incomplete for for the past three years because of the situation he was put in because of the, the talent around him, whatever. Uh, you have to give that with the trade too. We don't know what they're going to do as far as Carolina goes uh, at eight. Maybe they still had a quarterback as we talked about. So I just this is this is a long way of saying there's so many unknowables, so many unanswerables about Sam Darnold that uh, I am I'm, I'm officially waiting and seeing to to put a grade on this one. I feel like I'm having like a fever dream here because now I'm just thinking back to Sam Darnold's pro day. And if memory serves, it rained and everybody thought that was like a huge deal because he just put on a show and it was raining and everyone was like, that's awesome. Sam Darnold is awesome. It was raining. Is that right? Yeah. No, no pro days ever mattered. (laughs) No pro I, day I, has ever mattered. I, I ever. want someone to find me just this is the biggest question possible. And I'm 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 happy to, to change my mind on this. I don't think a pro day has ever actually mattered. I think it, maybe it's mattered in the perception for a little bit, but then it hasn't ever proven anything. Um I do think it's like guys just want to get out of the house, like scouts and stuff. Like go to pro days. And go to yeah, go see to each Southern other. Southern California. Y- yeah, Hang or up. or Austin or Miami or or whatever. Um, I, I think it's a good time for scouts to see each other and stuff. It's spring break for scouts, but I don't think it necessarily matters. And I think the even we talked about this a little bit later, but it's like, you know, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch went to Pro Day for Mac Jones and they didn't ask Nick Saban a question about Mac Jones. So even the access there can sometimes you know, also, by the way, Kyle Shanahan can get Nick Saban on the phone. So I think that I'm Pro days are kind of funny to me, I guess is what I'm saying. That's all. Hot take. We got hot takes early. Let's get to Mike Tannenbaum. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off and also celebrating the people who drink Crown Royal during games. I know I like to have some around whenever I'm taking in a basketball game, an NBA game. Always good to have around. And Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. Joined now by Mike Tannenbaum. Uh, one of our favorite recurring guests, former NFL general manager, ESPN analyst. And now you have a mock draft, Mike Tannenbaum. What was that? I guess you said before you came on, you, you felt like a pinata. When you release all 32 first round picks to the masses, uh, the, the heat you got, how would you characterize it? Uh, I felt like I was back in New York as the uh, general manager of the Jets with uh, incoming from any and all directions. But 
in all seriousness, it was, it was a ton of fun. Um, learned a lot and, um, it, and I'm, I'm a little bit in tug and cheek, but not completely, which is, it is actually easier to run a real draft because you have seven picks or whatever you may have, you know, five in a year, nine, whatever it may be. And you're sort of like fixated on your plan, your strategy. But on this, like you, the way we had set it up was um, I sat in the seat of all 32 teams and really like the draft should be part of a, in a very meaningful way, obviously, but of team building and what you did before and after the draft isn't necessarily outcome determinative, but it should be certainly significant in terms of what you're going to do. So we can get into this, Kevin, as much as you and Nora would like to, but um, it was maybe take a really deep dive on, on each and every team. What was the hardest part of it? Like what was the hardest stretch of the first round? Yeah. You know, Nora, that's a great question. You know, a couple, like I'm sitting there, Kyle Pitts going 12. And I'm like, I don't think Kyle Pitts is going to go 12, but, and we'll get into this in a second. Like Carolina, it, if they're being responsible, they're taking a quarterback at eight. If Justin Field is there, Trey Lance, if the three of us owned and operated the Atlanta Falcons, as great as Kyle Pitts is going to be as a football player, we should take Trey Lance. Like there's no two ways about it, but you know, like nor to to your question, like it's hard to say, like we're going to bypass on a guy that could be, you know, just a dynamic playmaker. Right. Kevin, I cut you off there for a second. I feel like you're going to talk about the quarterbacks, which is probably what no, we no, go. no. That that's actually what I wanted to know about about just what what the the hardest perspective was, and just putting yourself in, in all thirty two, in all thirty two shoes as an interesting exercise. Um, I'm curious, Mike, about the the top of the draft because everyone's curious about the top of the draft and how that you know, you talked about uh, someone like Pitts slipping a little bit, and and I think that when we look back on this, I was looking at the 1999 draft, which was a, kind of the most analogous in the sense that quarterbacks went one through three. And then Champ Bailey all of a sudden is dropping to the bottom of the top 10. Um, Edron James goes to Peyton Manning. Uh, when you're gaming out these guys and they're dropping, when we look back in five years, what is the pick that you think we're going to say, how in the world did this happen because of how quarterback heavy it was, where maybe a non-quarterback slips to a team that really they, they should, the league should not have let him get them? Patrick Sertan to me, because... When you look at Patrick Sertan, I just don't think he fails. Like someone was have to really put a compelling argument to me of why he won't be successful. Like he has the requisite measurables. He has unbelievable intangibles and he has great film. And he won against the best every day in practice. He won against the best, obviously, in the SEC. I think he's going to be a great player. I think he's going to be a bedrock for a long time. And he's going to go somewhere between, in my opinion, like nine and 11. And, um, I just think those other teams are going to be like, wow, we passed literally a short thing. And if I could be anywhere on the planet on the first day of the draft, I'd love to be a fly in the Dallas Cowboys room. And because, you know, last year they really should have taken an offensive lineman or, or some certainly a defensive player. And you can make an argument that, okay, it's CD lamb, despite giving up Mari Cooper, all that money to go ahead and take a receiver this year. What happens if Kyle Pitts and Patrick Sertan are there? Like, if they take Kyle Pitts, like, you know, how many more games do you want to lose? 49, 47, Jerry. Like, do you want to keep losing 50 to 42? Like, are you going to fire Dan Quinn and have three defensive coordinators in three years? Or are we trying to win a championship here? And I just think the juxtaposition of, like, like this megawatt offensive star in Kyle Pitts versus what they should do from a team-building standpoint, that juxtaposition to me is fascinating. All right, but do you want to be a fly on the wall in the war room or in the Jerry yacht? 
<laughs> well, I think the only way I'm going to be invited on Jerry Jot is if I manifest myself into that fly. So, um, <laughs> yeah, me too. Is there any intel that he's coming off the yacht this year? Is he actually going to be in the war room or is he just going? I don't know. We'll see. That's that's yeah. my number one draft storyline. Yeah, I would never come off the yacht. I agree. If given the opportunity, I would just stay there forever. But I agree. I guess probably um, he wants to be in the mix. Do you have to pay state income taxes if you live on a yacht? Uh, it depends. It depends where it's registered. I mean, like I- I'm a big Formula One fan, and all those guys they just live in Monaco, or they don't live anywhere, and they just said they live in Monaco. So I guess it would be. I guess you'd have to just register it somewhere. But uh, I'm sure Jerry has found a way to pay less income tax. <laughs> is my is my guess on this particular subject. This plot um, has taken a turn. Yep. Uh, so I, I do want to talk a little bit about Darnold and Carolina and all that stuff and, and kind of how that 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 game theory works out. But I want to stick with the top of the draft because I think a lot of times people who've been in the league, and this happened a little bit with Josh Allen, oh, this is a different deal, have a different perspective when a guy starts to shoot up draft boards. And I, I need this Mac Jones thing explained to me. Um, you have Justin Fields in your mock draft going eight to Carolina, which is really interesting. Um the way this has developed the last two weeks to me has been stunning and fascinating to see how the, all the machinations of it. Nick Saban comes out this week and says that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were standing right next to him at Pro Day. Never asked them about, uh, never asked him about about Mac Jones or anything like that. Um, that might be part of the smokescreen. Uh, but what am I missing, or what is I guess the media punditry missing when we look at Mac Jones versus how maybe the league views it, Mike? Yeah, I, I thought for months when I watched Matt Jones, he, he reminded me of Matt Ryan. And uh, that goes back to me seeing him in person, being at the championship game. I think he's a really accurate quarterback. And I think sometimes with accuracy, we can measure that in completion percentage. But I think another way to look at it is he, he had over 2,400 yards in yards after catch. Now, again, I understand that they have basically the U.S. Olympic track team at receivers. <laughs> so I get that. But <laughs> If, if you're not throwing the ball like on the upfield shoulder or in a very catchable place, like that's still hard to do. Um, he had 70 completions over 20 yards. I mean, that it, it's remarkable. And I think his functional athleticism is probably better than people think. And I think, Kevin, to answer your question, if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I think about I've had success with Matt Schaub, had a lot yep. of success with Matt Ryan. He's better than those guys. We have a really good supporting cast, and we're going to overpay here. But this guy, within reason, may get us to the Super Bowl. That that part's interesting because investing three first round picks in a guy like Mac Jones, who maybe you could have traded a little bit later in the top ten or whatever, can does this change? Does the last couple of weeks change your perception of how first round picks are valued in the league? Did you expect that much for someone like like a Mac Jones at the top of the draft or the third pick in a in a in a four or five quarterback draft? I mean, did this? Warp it. I mean, I the thing Nora and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, Niners fans got mad at me, but I, I said if you called around the league and offered three first round picks or even two first round picks, you'd probably get a pretty good haul and maybe better player than Mac Jones. Um, so I guess the big question here is does this Mac Jones trade or or the number three trade, whatever you want to call it, um, does this change your perception of how first round picks are valued? Well, I would say this, Kevin. I don't think first round picks is a one size fits all approach. Like if you're in the top five, that's different than the bottom five. If Ron Wolf was part of this discussion, you know, the Hall of Fame GM, you know, you're hitting 60% of the time. Um, and I think we make a lot of it in the media of like, oh, they have X amount of picks over the next couple of years. Well, at some point, those picks turn into players and not all of them are going to work out. And the times in my career I've traded up 
um, Xavier Howard, Darrell Rivas, David Harris, more times than not, it worked out because we work for quality, not quantity. And look, you want to have as many picks as possible. I get that. But I don't think all picks are created equal. And I think to a certain extent, San Francisco said, like, we believe in Kyle Shanahan. We believe in the process. And if Mac Jones turns out to be a B plus or better, if we overpay and that 2023 20, should be a second round pick, but now it's a first, who cares? Um, and I think that has to be part of the analysis. So I think in some ways to answer your question, yeah, I think some teams in certain contexts will undervalue them. Does the value conversation get a little bit complicated when there's the potential, the likelihood for a run on quarterbacks in the top, let's call it top half of the first round, because you kind of have half the league or some portion of the league that wants a quarterback and those picks end up getting valued based on the potential that they could be used on a quarterback. And then, I, so I guess, what does that mean for the rest of those picks getting potentially traded? Because it seems like it drives the price up and then maybe you're not going to make a move like that for a lineman, for a pass catcher, unless it's someone really special. Yeah, no, I think it's totally fair, Nora. I think like it's almost like two different markets, like the quarterback market. But I think what will happen is if we're having this conversation the Monday after the draft, I think we'll see the warm term, like, like it'll just be a massive pivot where, when we start getting into the non-quarterback part of the draft, so you know somewhere between eight and ten, I think we'll see a normalization in the marketplace of much more realistic trades and not these like uber premiums that we're now seeing. Does that mean for the the teams like okay, Denver, Carolina? Is that a little bit to your point about if a quarterback that they like, maybe it's not you know the guy that they have rated the best in the class, but if someone that they like is there, it's kind of you got to use it on that guy because the potential for long-term value is so much higher. Yeah. I, I think unless you, you know, I, I just think the fundamental approach to the quarterback position is probably best exemplified by John Schneider and Pete Carroll, which is, you know, they get, the, right. they go there, they have Tavares Jackson, they get Matt Flynn, they draft an obscure third round pick that couldn't make it at North Carolina state. and Turns out to be Russell Wilson. And I think that's sort of like, Approach, and that's why I had Carolina still taking Justin Fields, even if they have Sam Darnold. From the standpoint of like that mindset, like until you have one, keep going. Right, take swings. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price, just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Mike, I'm curious, just big picture, 
the the way you view quarterbacks because you came on this podcast this time last year and I made a comment about Tua being the second best quarterback and you corrected me and said no one's talking enough about Justin Herbert and you turned out to be 100% correct. Um, when did we record watching, that one? We did. We did. Yeah, <laughs> okay. we can. We can. Do you want? Do you need that for your clips? That's. Uh, yeah, we can. We can blast that out. I don't um, need it for my clips, Kevin. I need it for my self esteem. <laughs> Um, so you were hundred percent correct. And I'm curious, um, uh, for someone, maybe armchair analysts or people who are just trying to look and, and figure out how to watch these quarterbacks, um, educate us a little bit. What are the first couple of things we should watch when we just throw on, uh, you know, a conference title game or a big game? We're just saying, Hey, let's, let's look at what Trevor Lawrence does. Well, let's look at what Justin Fields does well, or Mac Jones, um, teach us a little bit on, on what we should look for. Yeah. Look, first of all, it starts off with, if we were running a car insurance company, which is if it's all about risk and value and sort of, if someone had five car accidents, they're going to pay more for insurance than someone that didn't. And football is a collision sport. And the bigger you are and the more athletic you are, the better chance you have of being successful. And I know that sounds unbelievably simplistic, but that was one of the most fundamental things I learned in the formative years of my career from Coach Parcells and Coach Belichick. Like, there are standards at position. And that's not to say that there aren't exceptions. And I will tell you that I'm a big Trevor Lawrence fan. His weight concerns me. If we were running a franchise, like, his he's his weight, which is less than Zach Wilson's, by the way, he has a chance of getting hurt. And that's not me, like, just throwing an opinion against the wall. That's based on data. So I start with the requisite height, weight, and speed, which Justin Herbert checked every box. And then it's accuracy because if you can't deliver an accurate ball, nothing else matters. You could have a, you know, Bryson DeChambeau has great power, but he gets the ball in the fairway. If he can't get in the fairway, we wouldn't be talking about him. And if you can't deliver an accurate ball consistently, nothing else matters. So if we're watching a game for the first time, I want to see how big they are because it matters. Over time, the bigger player is going to last. There are exceptions to Drew Brees in the world, but again, if we're trying to do something and we're looking at data and facts, that's just the way it's played out. And then accuracy is, is the next thing you have to have. With size, does that extend several position? Devonte Smith, obviously, the weight thing, 170 pounds. He came on this podcast a couple weeks ago, said he plays big. It shouldn't matter, all that stuff. Does it matter for someone like Devonte Smith, who's so good at so many things and his one weakness is he's 170 pounds? Yeah, 100% it matters. I mean, would you invest in a company that has like, historically uh, high leverage, even though they're profitable? Probably not. You'd probably look at a company that's just as profitable with a much more uh, balanced balance sheet where they're not leveraged to the hilt. And Devontae Smith could be successful. I think he compares fairly to Marvin Harrison, but why would we take that risk unnecessarily? And again, like over time, like height, weight, and speed and standards for positions, they matter. And I was at the championship game. He was the best player on the field. I saw what everybody else saw. But when he has to get off of the press, play after play at the next level, he may not be the same player. So I would try to find a player that has those sort of requirements and not take the exceptions. If I'm going to take an exception, I'm not going to do it in the first round. It just doesn't make sense. Over time, I'll be proven more right than wrong. In addition to just height, weight, speed, is there does sort of build factor into that as well? Because I think about someone like Russell Wilson, you know, not the tallest guy on the field, but he's kind of, he's solid. Like he doesn't look like someone who's going to get banged up. Yeah, no, that's absolutely. And to take that a step further, Nora, like what we would do 
is if you were bringing that up in a draft room, we'd turn to our strength coach, our performance coach and say, tell us about their frame. Like, can they get stronger? Can, okay. you know? And it's interesting. And, and I actually did this. I spent a year and a half consulting uh, in the performance space and traveled all through the world and body typing matters and what your build is, it matters. And this sounds very simplistic, but if you've been hurt before, your rate of being injured again is like incredibly exponentially higher. So take Landon Dickerson, for example. I think Landon Dickerson is an incredible player. He was hurt multiple times in college. I would not take him in the first round if we were running a team. It just, he may play 15 years and candidly, I hope he does, but the information we would have would be so compelling that he's probably going to get hurt again. Um, and that's where you have to marry the information you have and then take risks accordingly. And to your question, Dora, like Russell Wilson, in the third round, yeah, that's a no brainer because he's an exception to the rule. But, and look, I've made great decisions. I made awful decisions. You can live to fight another day by making a mistake in the third round, which I have plenty of. Sure. <laughs> you make a mistake in the first round, like Vernon Golston, that's really hard to survive. And I'm just telling you, like, that's the difference of in the first round, you really want to stay as close as you can to those standards. And those standards are whimsical. You know, they're, they're really rooted in just looking at years and years of what's playing the league successfully. I wonder, you know, we, we did the the Herbert thing earlier and we pumped you up. Um, so let's let's bring you down for one second. Um, and, and I'm just curious if you can explain, because I was going to ask about kind of the lessons you learn from draft pick failure, because, you know, I've talked to GMs who've said, actually, I think it was Steve Keim um, who said that they, he learned to take risks because he passed on Russell Wilson. Um, and because, you know, he said, oh, this guy's too short. And you've heard that about guys who pass on Aaron Donald and they learn lessons or or whatever. And, and I think sometimes the picks, uh, the, you, you can learn a lot from making a mistake. And I'm curious if you can take us to the Vernon Golston thing, because obviously that was, a, that was a high profile mistake. And, and kind of, you know, to, to let the listener into how a mistake happens like that, what happened? Uh, what did you guys see that wasn't there? And, and just kind of map that out for us, Mike. Yeah, and, and I would tell you, like, the best lesson I learned from that that I still think about to this day was I was really disappointed. Look, you're obviously disappointed in the mistake, Kevin, but I was even more dis disappointed in, like, getting away from our process. And George Young was a longtime general manager in the NFL, somebody I looked up to. Um, he, he passed several years ago, but remarkable man, really smart. Um, he always talked about really not only in college but in pro football, like, ask players to do exactly what they did and they have a really good chance of being successful if they're doing that against good competition. And again, that sounds so simplistic. And here we are with a sixth pick in the draft and Vernon Golston had like some production in college. He actually had a great game against Michigan. He was an Ohio state um, defensive end. And at the time we were playing a base three, four under coach Mangini. And we felt like he could make that transition. And there was really nothing on tape to say that. And it goes back to Nora's question a little bit before, too, which was about, well, what about Russell Wilson's build? And again, taking Russell Wilson in the third round makes a ton of sense. If we were going to take a risk on Vernon Golson's transition from playing defensive end to outside linebacker, no problem. Don't do it the six pick. You know, you, you got to be taking, you know, Amazon stock with the six pick, or I should say the ringer stock at the six pick. You don't Absolutely. take risks. You don't, you don't take startups. Spotify stock. Yeah. Excuse me, Spotify. 
You invested Bill Simmons Incorporated with Absolutely. the six figure Wow, don't try this one. is great. Yeah. This, this is one. Also, yeah, you I keep can't asking. even get Bill a return McCall. I'm I'm a Nita Mass native who knows more about the Celtics than Bill Simmons, and he oh, wouldn't even return wow. my call. Oh my god. Not even close, by the way. My my dog is named Larry. I mean, we could go there. I'm happy to have that conversation another time. But he wouldn't even know who I am. Are you are you trying to get him to do a Celtics trivia contest? Because it sounds like you're calling him out here at this point. Does he know who uh I mean, we, we, we could certainly go there, but, you know, Rick Roby, who we got for Rick Roby, for example, and how outcome <laughs> determinative Dennis Johnson was for our, some of our championships. Wow. This Somebody is great stuff. Bill. Yeah, this no, we're both, the race to text Bill about this is on between Nora and I. Do you know who Gerald Henderson turned into? I don't. Second pick to Seattle. Seattle um, had a bad year. We wound up getting Lynn Bias, unfortunately. Oh. But that was, that was a great trade. I, I feel like Bill knows the knows the pick lineage of, of the Len Bias pick, but we'll 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 see. We'll see. We'll we'll talk to Bill. This is this um, is another pod, but it's this a great, is great pod. stuff. This is great stuff. I'm I'm ready to this this could be a weekly ring around NFL show is uh, Mike and Bill debate about the Celtics. The most most ambitious crossover event in history. Absolutely. Um I will say by the way, the two things. Number one is that you keep saying uh you keep acting like we're rational investors when I just basically emptied my bank account to bet on Xander Shoffley at the Masters. Um, but then the other part of it <laughs> is I do want to say, you know, the, the Chiefs are really invested in body type and lean body mass and stuff like that. And I've talked to Brett Beach about this a lot. And that, that that's something that their scouts have found is pretty reliable, especially on the testing side of it, is, is the lean body mass and all that stuff. Um, Mike, I want to talk about um, Justin Fields because this is a guy who I think that if you were just a casual fan uh, during the season, it was Fields versus Lawrence in the discourse. And, you know, Lawrence had the edge, but Fields was right there during some parts of the year. And then it seemed, you know, I, this happens to a guy every year where the discourse gets ridiculous. And there's, there's a couple people now who have said that they've heard that he might, he has a fourth round grade from teams. Um, and I'm curious, A, how that happens. Um, is it just the fact that, you know, no one was talking about this in November. Is that just the GMs and, and a lot of, uh, uh, personnel guys just weren't studying the quarterbacks like that. And then beyond that, what does your read on Justin Fields and what does his future look like? Yeah, no, this is a very interesting conversation. So a couple of things on fields. I actually went to his first practice, um, when he transferred and I'm on the sidelines guys and, um, he goes by me and I'm like, this guy looks like Cam Newton, like talk about build. Like this guy should be the first pick in the draft. And I'm thinking like the first thing I think of like Jacob Fromm must be Superman. This is like, you know, two years ago. I'm like, how could he not win the job at Georgia? <laughs> and um, he he's played really, really good football the last two years, six interceptions in his career. I mean, there's a million stats. I don't think he played well against Indiana Northwestern. That would be a really big concern of mine. Um, I thought he was, his accuracy was inconsistent. I thought he's forced the ball a couple of times. And this is where I think it gets so interesting. Like if I could take you guys behind the curtains and we're sitting there and we're like debating between Trey Lance, who I would take over Justin Fields and Justin Fields, you guys should, would say like, well, Mike, you know, we're beating up Justin Fields for not playing well against Indiana Northwestern. And this guy's played central Arkansas. And to reconcile those things is really, really hard. Right. That's why the hit rate 60% at best. I just think that Trey Lance has a couple of things um, from an intangible standpoint, from a measurement standpoint that I really like. I like fields a lot and I have him going eight and I got plenty of blowback of like, how can he fall that far? And that's not far. He's still going, you know, in the top eight. 
he, he to me, would really benefit from a strong play-action running game. And the other thing that's really hard to normalize is people point to how great he was against Clemson. And this may be an unfair comment, but it's how I feel, which is I think in that game he paid – he got a really big bump from Ryan Day, which is if you carefully watch that game, there were some runs that Ohio State had where Clemson wasn't even lined up, like not having a body in a gap. And there were some throws in that game. There were people within 10 yards of Ohio State receivers. And I'm not saying, like, to use that to penalize Justin Fields, but I'm just saying, like, that's something that you have to account for when you try to make a decision. Sure. But so Carolina, I mean, if he went eight, one would think that they would be thrilled to have a quarterback fall there and to get to take another swing with, you know, one of the top five guys. What do you, how does the Darnold trade fit into that for you? What did you think of that trade and where do you think Sam Darnold is for them? Yeah. ESPN was blown away that uh, I had submitted my mock draft. The trade happened. They're like, well, now you can revise it. I said, no, I'm not (laughs) revising it. And they thought I was great. That's when the criticism (laughs) just began. And um, look, David Tepper has made billions in hedge funds. And that's about, again, risk management and who, you know, investing, value, risk, and and all the things we've sort of talked about. And how I'm sure this, I, I would be floored if they didn't take fields. And here's why. The only grade we could give Sam Darwin right now truly is a grade of incomplete. You know, some people are going to be higher than him than others, which is okay. Joe Brady, Chris McCaffrey, he may turn out to be a B plus. He may not be. But one thing we do know is he only has two years, 23.6 over two years, fifth year options exercise. Why not turn a weakness into a strength and have two really good quarterbacks? And guys, if we spin this story forward to 2022, there's just not as many quarterbacks next year. And why not say, hey, if Darrell plays well, we're sitting there with Justin Fields on a rookie contract. If Darrell doesn't play well, you have Justin Fields. And I don't think there's a lot of downside to fortifying a position that's you know so important as the quarterback position. Well, just what's the conversation that you need to have with the coaching staff before you do something like that? Just to get an understanding of, okay, you have these two guys. They're both going to want to play. How are you going to manage that? Yeah, no, that's hard. That's certainly, you know, a hard part of the job. Um, And candidly, like, you're going to get pushback because a coach, for the most part, is going to be in the moment and say, hey, you know, what's best for me for to survive? Now, Matt Rule's in a unique situation where I don't think he has to worry about that. And that's where I think, you know, long-term thinking like Pittsburgh, um, New England, certainly, for the most part over the years, they benefit from longer-term thinking. And I think you just have to say that, look, Coach Rule, like, you're going to be sitting here one year from today. And one year from today, when Team X offers offers us two ones and a two for Justin Fields or one and a three for Sam Darnold, remember this conversation. Or we're sitting here on November 1st and we have a chance to have a meaningful season and having depth at the quarterback position is the reason we're still alive. You know, those would be the best reasons. It's hard, though, because – especially if someone like Kyle Pitts is on the board, um, that's going to be a really hard conversation. And how much are you, you're sitting in the general manager's seat. How much are you thinking about, I really trust this coaching staff to be able to get the most out of these guys and navigate that? Because I think that's relevant with Carolina, right? Where they've, they've 
both invested in their coaching a lot and they've gotten lucky in some areas just in terms of like Joe Brady still being there and not getting another job and moving somewhere else. And I ended up, I think, feeling better about the decision to get Darnold than I might otherwise because I feel like they've invested in the coaching so much. Okay, go prove it. Go prove that those guys can make this a better situation for him and, you know, try to help there. And I wonder how much that thinking gets involved with what the general manager is doing. Yeah, Nora, I mean, that's a very fundamental part of putting an organization together. And really, those, those are the conversations you're having with the owner when you decide who your head coach is. Like, that, that, that is a decision that's the thread runs through everything you do. Um, and player development is such a critical part. I mean, the part of the conversation that I find candidly to be the most interesting is the Woody Johnson, Chris Johnson question, which is, and this is the one that to me really is quintessential. What did you guys give up on in Sam Darnold from February of 2021 to today, given the COVID rules, like you don't know what you had and what process did you use to get there? Like, I'm going to let you trade them because you don't know what you have. And if we believe in our coaching staff, and I think that's the point you're making here, Nora, like go coach Sam Darnold and get him better. And we may draft Zach Wilson as well. And again, we're going to fortify this position. So I would be gravely concerned if I'm the New York Jets because I, I don't know the process they use to arrive at the decision that Sam Darnold can't play based on where they were you know, just a couple months ago. And I would add to that position, not subtract from it. That, that's actually what I was going to ask about because with Gase in particular, I don't think anyone thinks that Gase put the Jets in, in much of a position to win. And when you're evaluating a player coming from a bad situation, and maybe it actually helped Darnold a little bit and that he got a huge incomplete grade because he was in such a bad situation and all that stuff. Um, but when, you, when you're trying to separate a player from a bad situation, what are you looking for? Because a lot of times the tape will not look that good. You might have to look at something else or, or look at short spurts or situations where he was kept clean or, or, or whatever it is. Uh, when you're trying to figure out what to look for with a player like Darnold coming from a bad situation, you look at what, Mike? Yeah, Kevin. I asked that question literally. We're taping this, you know, Wednesday at 9.41. Two hours ago, I was asking Coach Parcells that exact question. Because we were having that exact conversation about, you know, how do you know? Because Bill, one of the things, Bill was a big believer in it is that there's always massive opportunities when a new coach and GM come in because they don't evaluate their own correctly. I'm like, what would you have done with Darnell? He's like, I don't know what was asked of him. And he's like, it's really hard. Um, so... Uh, it's a great question. Um, what I would do, and that's where I think COVID really complicates things, is I would put him through a, I would have him come in for a visit and I would have coaches meet with him, not like to test him to test him, but to sit down and talk to him and, and, and really go through like what happened last year and hear your side of it. And look, candidly, like I've done this twice in my career. Chad Pennington was part of a coaching search when we ran a search at the Jets. Ryan Tannehill is part of coaching search when we ran that search at the Dolphins. And you want them to create relationships with their new head coaches. And it's for moments like this where, you know, when you have authenticity in a relationship, you can really, again, like learn and understand where other people are coming from. And I'm not saying that's the reason you keep Sam Darnold or not, but that's actionable information that you're trying to get. And I would, if I own the Jets, I probably would say, you know what? I want you to pick the best player in this draft. And in a year from now, let's see what we have. And because I think, you know, Nora, that's where you're going to earlier, which is a very reasonable place in my opinion, which is you don't know what you have. 
And we don't know what the impact of this, whatever you want to call it, coaching staff, culture, environment, scheme, you know, label it however you want, but let's see what we have first. And if I'm Joe Douglas, he won't admit it publicly, but I promise you, I promise you this, he will go to bed every Sunday night looking at how good did Zach Wilson do this week and how good did Sam Darnold do? Because that's a decision that's really hard to escape from a GM perspective. And Ryan Pace is a great example of that. Wasn't Mitch Trubisky had his inconsistencies. I think he played better this year, but obviously he couldn't escape the fact that Deshaun Watson and and, uh, Patrick Mahomes were picked after him. Mike Tannenbaum, thanks for joining us, buddy. This is great. Thanks to Mike for joining us. Nora, excited for the weekend? Very excited. Excellent. Um, All right, so I'll be, we'll be, we'll be back on Wednesday. Um, You're laughing. Were, were you going to go anywhere with that at the end? Well, I don't know. I, it, it's Wednesday. I'm not thinking about the weekend. Well, the, people listen to this on <laughs> Thursday. Okay. Yeah, which is right. But you're like, are you excited for the weekend? And I'm like, I haven't. The weekend has not crossed my mind. Is this the first time you've encountered that question in your life? Yeah. No one's ever asked me if I'm excited for the weekend. Cheers to the freaking weekend, Kevin. Also, when it's Masters Week or Taylor Swift Week, Taylor Swift Song Week, the weekend starts whenever you want it to. Well, the weekend starts at midnight on Friday when Fearless Taylor's version is released. That's Absolutely. that's what I'm looking forward to. Absolutely. Um, all right. So we'll be back next Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to be on something this weekend, recapping the Masters. Um, just just a lot of stuff. I'll be at Sloan on Thursday with uh, Nick Casario, Kevin Demoff, and Brian Burke talking about football analytics. It's going to be Heard really cool. Going to have some some fresh insights next week on this show uh, going to know all about analytics uh, this has been the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit Honda.com slash Prologue to learn more.